going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Happy Friday, everybody. Hope all is well with you and yours. A jam-packed show ready to go. We're going to continue our discussions with the four main party leaders, the uh, Alberta party we visited with on Monday. Tuesday, it was the Liberal Party. Wednesday, we took off because we were in Airdrie. Yesterday, we had a Premier and NDP leader, uh, Rachel Notley, joining us. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about Jason Kenney uh, and his interview with Danielle Smith. We'll get to that in just a second. The Friday Fact Check is back. Uh, back. We'll talk about freezes in education. Are they really cuts? Emily Mertz from Global News will join us after 5 o'clock on that. Deb Matijicka is back for her regular segment. And we'll meet a hero by the end of the show today. Her name is Laura Campos. She was one of five, I believe, young people who may have saved some lives. Great little discussion. We'll play the 911 call to give you a little bit of sense of what this young gal did to save some people in her home. Great story there. But let's get right to it. Last week, we reached out to all of the parties and said, hey, we know that we're a different show and we want to be able to, my focus over the last week has been, let's talk future. Let's talk about where we're going from here after April 16th. And I know a lot of people focused on the social issues or they talked about the economy or uh, parties past dances on uh, uh, pipelines, for example, that kind of thing. And so we got three of the four to come on the show. One did not, Jason Kenny, for reasons I, I'm not totally aware of. Uh, my producer has just told me not happening. But I'm not going to deprive him of the opportunity in my audience to hear what he said with Danielle Smith earlier on today. We're going to start with uh, we're going to start with the economy in particular, and we'll go to social issues a little bit later on. I want to start with. Pipelines, and I've uh, pieced together a little, little bit of what uh, Danielle asked him, and some of the lines of questioning around what we need to do to get the economy kickstarted. Yes, that's at the core of, of our fight back strategy. We will launch a public inquiry under the Inquiries Act with the legal power to compel witness testimony to investigate uh, the sources of foreign funds behind the anti-Alberta energy campaign. We will also challenge, where possible, the charitable status of groups like the Suzuki Foundation that are funneling foreign money into our politics, I believe, in violation of charities law, will go to the courts, if necessary, to strip them of their charitable status. We will defund, obviously, any groups like the Pemberton Institute that are receiving government money. We'll fire people like Ed Winningham, who worked for groups like that, committing economic sabotage against Alberta, who has now been appointed to the AER board by the uh, by Rachel Notley. Um, we will create a $30 million uh, war room uh, in the government of Alberta to respond in real time to all of the lies and myths told about our energy sector. Um, we will support research done by independent people like Vivian Krauss into all of this. Um, and um, those are just some of the things that we'll do uh, uh, for a start. Also, we'll, we'll call multinationals like HSBC Bank that are trying to virtue signal by boycotting the oil sands while financing the Middle Eastern and Russian oil industries to tell them that if they boycott Alberta's energy industry, the government of Alberta will boycott them. We'll build alliances with like-minded pro-energy provincial governments, like I've already been doing with Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, New Brunswick, to ask them to help to help us with all of the above. Uh, we'll, we'll create a litigation fund for pro-development First Nations 
like the Eagle Spirit Consortium in Northern D.C. that opposes Bill C-69 and supported Northern Gateway to help get them into court so they get an, can get an equal voice with the uh, anti small minority of anti-development First Nations who are typically foreign-funded. We want to help assert the economic rights of First Nations to move their people from poverty to prosperity. We'll also create a billion-dollar Aboriginal Opportunities Corporation, a Crown Corporation, to facilitate Aboriginal financial participation and co-ownership in major energy infrastructure projects like the Trans Mountain Pipeline to overcome much of this opposition. And finally, Danielle, this is not, these are not just words here. For two weeks ago, we had Councillor Mike Layton in Toronto proposing a motion for Toronto to sue Alberta energy companies over the ostensible cost of climate change. I immediately wrote a four-page letter to the mayor and councillors. I called a bunch of them, and I think I played a role in uh, causing the Toronto Council to kill that motion. I was I, The premier was silent. Quite frankly, as far as I can tell, the energy companies were too. That's the kind of leadership you, you're going to get if we have a united conservative government. We will not let this stuff slide anymore. We have been too passive too defensive, too apologetic, a premier saying that we're the embarrassing cousins no one wants to talk about. It's time that we had leadership that stood up vigorously for this problem. Now, I don't disagree with a lot of the stuff that he said in there, to be frank. I think we do need to be a little bit more aggressive. I think that we've been playing defense quite a bit. That being said, I'm also not privy to the conversations, and nor is is Jason Kenney in terms of what was said behind closed doors with uh, between Premier Notley and and the energy sector or those with their federal counterparts, that kind of thing. It's uh, hard to gauge. That being said, liked what he said. Now, he also talked a little bit about carbon tax. Well, just so your listeners know, Daniel, Daniel uh, Andrew Leach is the professor who basically designed the carbon tax that the NDP imposed on us. Uh, that they lied about in the last election, which they raised by 50% last year, which they plan to raise by another 67%, and which they will then continue raising uh, as it suits them, by the way, without an increase in rebates or so-called green spending. So it becomes an increasingly regressive tax. Uh, I'm sure Professor Leach, no doubt he's a very bright man, but I think he's completely wrong about this. Punishing Albertans for heating their homes and driving to work is not an environmental policy. The Premier was asked before Christmas by how much were greenhouse gas emissions being reduced by the punishing carbon tax. And she said, I don't know. I haven't been briefed on that. On the most important policy of her government, the reason she doesn't know is because there's no measurable decrease in emissions resulting from the retail carbon tax. Now, we will keep in place a a levy on major industrial emitters who are responsible for about 60% of the emissions uh, in Alberta. Um, That will reduce uh, by some 40 uh, uh, 45, 45 megatons emissions from Alberta uh, to support technology that we can share with the developing world that, world that reduces carbon intensity. Um, but is Professor Leach actually telling us that, that the, the, the federal liberals bought uh, Trans Mountain at our expense in order to play blackmail with Albertans on a carbon tax? Uh, is is that really what he's saying? Well, let me ask you, you this, know, because some also say you're being disingenuous on the carbon tax, because fine, cancel Rachel Notley's, but then Justin Trudeau's will apply, just as it has in the four other provinces that don't have a provincial tax. And we will join, as I've said from day one, we will join. In fact, I developed this strategy. You may recall the cover story in McLean's, the resistance, I think it was called. Myself, Scott Moe, uh, Brian Pallister, Blaine Higgs, Premier of New Brunswick, Premier Doug Ford, and Heather Shear. 
I'm the guy who talked to them about this challenge, about this legal challenge. And now we have three of those four provinces in court being supported, by the way, by the United Conservative Party. Should Justin Trudeau try to punish Albertans for heating their homes with his carbon tax, we'll sue him in court. We believe that it, the federal carbon tax is a unconstitutional violation of our provincial jurisdiction. Ultimately, Danielle, that will be settled at the Supreme Court of Canada. But there's also another way to settle it. And this is what I was talking about with Andrew Shear last night and several hundred people who came out of the blizzard. Uh, my plan A is to defeat Trudeau's carbon tax in court. My plan B is to defeat Justin Trudeau at the polls next October. I liked what he, Jason Kenney had to say surrounding some of the things going forward to get things kicked off. I'm still a little torn on this whole idea of taking every relationship that we have across this country that isn't a conservative and taking a sledgehammer to it. Um, Because I don't know if you win any hearts and minds, particularly in BC, by just turning off the tap right off the bat, but that's besides the point. Moving on to the social issues, which is, to be fair, uh, Danielle started the conversation off talking about some of them. And one of the questions that was raised surrounded uh, a comment made by Ryan Jesperson, uh, up at 630 Ched on with Charles Adler saying that Jason Kenney is beholden to certain organizations and who are you beholden to became the question for Jason Kenney and here's the response. Nothing, Danielle. Again, I reject the, the premise of your, of your question and Ryan's assertion. He also said I was beholden to, the, to Rebel Media which um, uh, as I gather attacks me constantly uh, because I'm pro-immigration, for example. And uh, so um, I've never talked to th- those organizations about policy issues apart from uh, what I read that they put out, which is, uh, you know, the Justice Center um, has a mission. It's a registered charity, I believe, which is protection of, of freedoms like freedoms of conscience and religion. They have every right to do that before the courts. Um, they're not a political organization. They're a legal defense fund. Um, and I've never talked to them about these issues. So, um, you know, this is just, it just, it's just ridiculous, quite frankly, Danielle. Um, ours is the largest provincial political party in Canada with 160,000 members. Um, we have, uh, we had a very broad policy development process, which has culminated in the most detailed platform ever presented to voters in an Alberta election, 117-page blueprint with 375 positive ideas, uh, which don't get into any of these divisive social issues. Um, The media loves talking about this stuff, but in the three years I've been crisscrossing the province, what people are obsessively focused on is jobs, the economy, pipelines, and a fair deal for Alberta in Canada. and even, you know, the so-called social conservatives, Danielle, don't, don't raise with me, um, in, as I go around the province, any expectation that a conservative government will, will uh, pick up their uh, agenda. Basically, what I hear from them is they just want to be left alone. They just want to be left. They're part of the Leave Me Alone coalition. Uh, I think there's been a big change in, in, in the way uh, a lot of these cultural issues are addressed. And most folks that sometimes are derisively referred to by the media as social conservatives are just saying, please let us uh, have our freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, freedom of association. And, um, and that's why there's no, nobody's raised with me any expectation of uh, a conservative government being proactive. That's why I've said, uh, for example, on the question of abortion, I've said that I would take the same approach as Stephen Harper or uh, Ralph Klein or Brad Wall or any of our um, Big Ten free enterprise coalitions in Canada, which is we would uh, stay away from those issues and focus on economic issues. Again, if you want to uh, check out the entire interview, you can head to A.B. Danielle Smith.
uh, is where she's posted her on Twitter and she's posted the full conversation with Jason Kenny. Uh, again, I wanted to make sure that everybody was aware of what uh, Jason had to say. Uh, as I was in a, in a mission to make sure that our listeners here at Calgary today had a chance to hear from all four of the party leaders, although one decided not to. And again, I've, I'm disappointed. I would have loved to chat with, with Jason. Schedules didn't align. Not going to hold it against him. Hopefully he's w- uh, willing to come on uh, post-April 16th at some point. We'd love to chat with him and talk about some of the uh, issues and some of the questions that I had for him. It's Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. It's about that time. A lot of people talking about what kinds of issues are around the table and are there lies? Are there deceptions on the campaign trail? Emily Mertz has been looking into it uh, in this particular case, all about myths around or what the difference is between a spending freeze and a spending cut when it comes to education. Emily joins us now on the program. Thanks so much for the time today, as always. Thanks for having me. So the question right off the bat, would a UCP spending freeze mean no more teachers and thousands of new students? So the question is, is it true? Right. So we've heard the NDP say um, this, this statement a few times on the campaign trail over the last probably six weeks that a education spending freeze, which the UCP is proposing to do to tackle the multi-billion dollar deficit uh, would mean 60,000 new kids in Alberta schools over four years and not one new teacher being hired. So uh, the numbers check out. The 60,000 is an Alberta education estimate. Um, The Alberta Teachers Association, uh, which is a third-party advertiser in this election, um, they've used StatsCan numbers to look at population growth, and they actually estimate 74,000 new kids over four years. So Alberta's population is growing. It's a young population, new kids, new kids needing new classrooms. Um, So 60,000 is a sort of a conservative estimate of how many kids, new kids we would see in classrooms over the four years. The interesting thing is that it, the provincial government doesn't dictate exactly where uh, its education budget has to go. So individual school boards um, have the autonomy to decide where the biggest needs are. Um, so they potentially could decide that hiring teachers is a priority, but they would have to find that money from the existing budget without getting an increase in funding from the province. So, for instance, they may have to look at cutting from elsewhere in order to hire those teachers. Mm-hmm. Does that factor in the a the aides and other staffers that would be involved in in this? And then beyond that, is does this also factor in infrastructure needs because with those 74,000 or 60,000 or however many kids are going to be coming, you're going to need space for those kids as well. Yeah, and so what the provincial budget is not line-itemed. Um, so it just gives a chunk of money for education. Um, we're not talking post-secondary. We're talking about elementary and high school. Mm-hmm. And then those school districts then sit down and say, okay, where are we going to channel these um, dollars? Um, the Edmonton Public School Board, for instance, says that it's 94% of its annual budget from the province. And so if it sees a freeze, it's referring to that as the NDP is as a cut because it's seeing, I believe they say 3,000 new kids every school year. And if the funding for that remains the same, 
it's not the same amount of funding per kid. They're saying right. kids get less funding overall. Yeah, I was going to say that's going to be the big uh, sticking point, I think, is that where the UCP is saying, hey, it's a freeze, there's going to be others in the system who are going to say it's actually a cut based off of the per student uh, dollar sign that is attached to it. So what are school boards saying? What are parent advocacy groups saying about what all is being said on the campaign trail? So advocates and even um experts, uh, political science experts that we spoke to say this wording is absolutely common on the campaign trail. It's very partisan. It's very, um, you know, it's it's political. It's campaigning. So the party that wants to cut spent or to hold the line on spending is going to call it a freeze, whereas the opposition to that campaign is going to call it a cut because they're arguing it doesn't account for uh, student population growth. It doesn't account for inflation as well, for instance. Um, so they're going to call it uh, a cut and it's going to impact uh, the front lines. The front lines say, yes, it will impact us. Um, we're concerned. It puts a heavy strain on staff, on schools. And our, one of our experts actually pointed out something really interesting that uh, this isn't going to impact every school district or every school the same way. Because some schools, maybe in northern Alberta with the slowdown in the oil, um, maybe people are moving away from that area. They're not, those schools may, may see a decline in enrollment, but then you see, you know, suburbs of Calgary, suburbs of Edmonton, huge young populations of young students, huge growth, demand for new schools even getting built, right? Their populations are blowing up. So they're going to have different challenges when you come, when you get a, um, a freeze in spending. Now, we should say the UCP is saying, I mean, this is what all Albertans are facing. When times are tough, you pull the belt strings and you have to look at ways you can save money. And they're asking the different, you know, the different regions, the different sectors of education health to do the same, to say, let's hold the line here and find efficiencies. But our expert says, you might find, you know, several hundred million, but you're not going to find eight, nearly eight billion, which is the education budget for last year. It's hard to find efficiencies that would that would kind of weigh out that freeze. There's a lot of math that's going to be involved in fitting that that's <laughs> education. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what transpires as we get uh, to, dis- uh, to Tuesday. And then even beyond that, how whichever government is formed is going to handle the education. Because uh, we've talked about this on this program uh, more than once in terms of uh, whether it's classroom size initiatives or that kind of thing. There, there's some programs that have been put in place. And, and while the targets aren't being met yet, there's still that uh, what happens if there is a freeze or a cut or however you want to phrase it. So, Emily, I do appreciate the time and a little bit of insight on your latest fact check. Thanks so much. And yes, and there's um, more information on those two class size initiatives um, that were put in place at different times um, in Alberta on the website as well. I'll post that up on my Twitter at Calgary today in just a couple of seconds here. One other thing that I, I'm, I'm openly musing about, and I don't know how much traction it's going to get on it. I And I know that there are ongoing reviews and that kind of thing, but it would be kind of nice, I think, for there to be some sort of audit, whether it's of all the school boards or just to put everybody's mind at ease about where the fat is or follow the money trail, because I think that's the biggest issue, especially when it comes to healthcare, for example. Everybody says, cut the fat. Where's the fat? Like, let's let's see a diagram, organizational uh, depth chart, and go. Okay, what's what are we missing here? Why are things not adding up money wise? I don't know if anybody's actually going to have a desire for that, but I'll throw it out there. Love these kinds of stories. Calgary 911 celebrating some of our young heroes today. Five young Calgarians 
getting themselves some awards for uh, their courage, their maturity, their quick thinking in helping to bring vital emergency assistance to a person in need. Congratulations to Emelina Katchuk, Miriam Yassir, Laura Campos, Dylan Domagala, uh, and Emily Morton as they were nominated by the emergency communications officer who took their respective 911 calls. And I'm going to ask a question of you in a second, but first, we're going to go back to the phones and meet up with Laura Campos, 12-year-old who did something pretty special uh, in uh, recently. And Laura, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you for having me. What is it that you did that deserved this honor today? So, um, my a uh, dryer caught on fire, and I called 911. Who, how did you know that you needed to call 911? It's, it's just natural. You know when you, like, watch those movies and their fire ca- uh, or whatever catches on fire? The first thing they do is uh, call 911. It's something natural, I feel like. What does it mean to you to uh, get an award like that? What was it like? I, I... I don't have words for it. It was an amazing opportunity, and I feel so happy that I got to have an award. Is it weird to you that, you know, you've got all these people that are kind of clamoring and and asking you for interviews and and kind of uh, goading over, not goading, they're they're kind of uh, glowing over you? Yeah, it was a little weird. (laughs) What would you like to say to those who might be listening, especially say there's maybe some of your peers, what would you tell them uh, as maybe a lesson to learn from what you did? Always believe in your heart. And if you know that it's the right thing to do, do it. It's a wonderful lesson. Laura, thank you so much for doing this today. Thank you. What amazes me about these kinds of stories is that they're so calm, cool, and collected. I can't imagine being 12 or 9 and being like, okay, there's a fire in front of me. I should call 911. I would be losing my, you know, what's. And yet when you hear this call, you're like, wow, she's a pretty composed 12-year-old. 911 for what city? Calgary. Do you need fire, police, or ambulance? Fire. Okay, tell me exactly what happened. So my mom was um, putting clothes in the in the dryer, and it's like, it start, it's like, it's um, a lot of air is coming out, and it's like black air. All right, like I said, help us on the way. Is anyone injured? No, we're all okay. Okay, very good. Okay, just stay on the phone. I'm sending the fire department to help you now. Stay on the line, and I'll tell you exactly what to do next. Okay. All right, how many floors or stories are there? There's three. Do not approach or enter any hazardous or dangerous areas. I'm going to let you go now. Help us on the way. If anything worsens in any way, call us back immediately for further instructions, okay? Okay, thank you, sir. You're welcome. Help us on the way. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. So congratulations again to Laura Campos, who made that phone call. Also to Emelina Kachuk, Mariam Yassir, Dylan Gala, and Emily Morton for being rewarded today and recognized with the Calgary 911 Young Heroes Award Ceremony. And also uh, a big thank you as well to all of our first responders and our 911 call, uh, call takers for understanding, hey, this is a child that's calling better be able to make sure you handle this one with uh, extra care and attention as well. So kudos to everybody involved. Uh, Job well done and a big thumbs up from all of us here at 770 CHQR.
news, traffic, weather, and the Friday chat with Matt. It's, He's back. It's, it's so important. What are you doing on Tuesday? I'm getting a tattoo. Okay, I, I wasn't I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> what are you going to tattoo? Uh, well, uh, it's not going to be I voted. Oh, okay. You already did that, though, right? <laughs> yeah, I already did okay. that. Don't worry, don't worry. No, I, I, I do believe in voting. I do believe in the democratic process and all that. I think it's very important. Um, I actually went and did my voting yesterday. Okay. Uh, went to the Thorncliffe Community Greenview Center, whatever. Yep. And I, it was so easy. It was in and out. You know, I, I have heard the stories of the voter cards, and they actually mm-hmm. asked me for my voter card, and I was like, no, but I have. A, a license that doesn't have my current address on it, and I have a, a piece of a piece of uh, mail that does. Right? <laughs> They're like, okay, I guess this is good enough. <laughs> right. Well, and that's that's the thing, right? Like, as long as you you do your due diligence, knowing that hey, you're going to be you have those pieces of information available for you. Away you go, right? And from everybody that I've talked to, it's super easy to go out. Well, and the other thing too is like, if you're not a crowds person, this I. I didn't wait in line. Mm-hmm. Uh, the longest part was waiting for them to like process my paperwork. But other than that, like I went in, walked straight up to the people who gave me my uh, voting ballot, and I was pretty much off to the races. Like, if you don't want to wait for April sixteenth, and there are good reasons that you might have to wait. And I mean, there's even voting happening this Saturday. Like, yeah. there's another opportunity there, but. If you have time today, while you're on your drive home, quickly stop by any voting station because that's the other cool thing we're implementing now. <laughs> you can vote from anywhere, or during, but only during uh, advanced voting. Right. I, I, I don't know. I'm actually kind of, uh, I don't know if it's because I'm working here this year, but I'm super excited about voting. <laughs> <laughs> and beyond that is you're super excited because we're going to have full coverage throughout. Oh, uh, my we've gosh. had full coverage, and we're going to have full coverage uh, coming up on Tuesday as well. I am curious, in your circles... Mm-hmm. Would you consider the people who were non-political back in the day being involved this time around? Like, are you noticing there's more talk around it than normal? Uh, I think that, well, the problem is, is since the last, we'll say, provincial election, my circles have changed. Right. And so the people that I'm around are absolutely talking about this, but that's because they're affected by some of the policies that may or may not come to pass with this. Right. So that's been a big talking point between us. But other than that, like, it's it's just, I feel that it's really contentious and it's really hot and everything like that. But I think that no more political than it normally is. It's just, there's a lot, we're getting more and more angry at each other. Not like me and my circles, but just mm-hmm. people in general are getting more and more angry at each other every day. And I, I think we talked about this on the last Friday I think it was the last Friday chat where I said, like, we need to bring each other together and not fight against each other, but to fight what's wrong with the world. <laughs> You're sounding like a hippie. <laughs> hey, man, peace, peace, love, and, love. and chicken grease or something like that. Put your fingers in the... I don't love, know. Love, peace, and chicken grease. Sorry, oh, my bad. Go. There you go. Uh, the Friday Chow with Matt here on Calgary Today. Thanks for, thanks for doing that, buddy. Hey. Just want to take a moment to thank you for taking the time to download and listen to the Calgary Today podcast. Don't forget to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll chat with you soon.